and a hush falls on the crowd. Um, the theme of our message today is facing enemies, and I thought to help us get thinking about this, I would show you a scene from The Lord of the Rings. Um, i got to say, this scene is not entirely necessary. It, it kind of links into my message, but I just thought that some of you thought I'd really lost my heart for the Lord of the Rings material because I hadn't shown a scene in a while or used a story in a while, so I thought I'd uh, display my affection for this uh, set, of, set of books and film. Um, I'll tell you one of the reasons why I really like the Lord of the Rings and Tolkien's material, and, and uh, you, you may love it or hate it, um, and, and that's okay. We allow people with diverse views here at Hillside, although that's, a, that's almost a borderline, you know, you know, maybe you'd better find another car. No, I'm just kidding. It's borderline, borderline. Um, what, I, what I loved about it and loved about the, the books and, and, the, and the movies was there was always this sense of them being kind of real. Even though when they're in this fantastical environment, there was a, a sense of real threat. There were real enemies. It didn't seem apparent that the good guys were going to win. In fact, there was real, uh, real doubt about that. In a sense, you thought, they might just not make it out of this. And uh, so I, I, uh, I appreciate that because that's sometimes how it feels in our lives, doesn't it? Sometimes feels that there's a real threat it's not like uh, pretend, it's like this could really hurt. And so uh, I, I chose a scene, uh, there's piles actually that I could have shown, and I actually asked my family to help me out so that we had a voting system on what scene I would show you today. Um, so I, this wasn't my number one choice, but everyone else, it was there, so I'll, I'll submit to their leadership. But it's a scene where one of the hobbits, Peregrine Took, who's kind of a mischievous guy, he's with Gandalf, uh, the great white leader, uh, in the city of Minas Tirith before the inevitable invasion of the enemy armies. So uh, let's, let's watch this scene. So I imagine this is just a ceremonial position. I mean, they don't actually expect me to do any fighting. You're in the service of the steward now. You'll have to do as you're told, Peregrine Tuku. Deep breath before the plunge. I don't want to be in a battle. But waiting on the edge of one I can't escape is even worse. Is there any hope, Gandalf, for Frodo and Sam? There never was much hope. Just a fool's hope. 
enemy is ready. His full strength gathered. Not only orcs, but men as well. Legions of Haradrim from the south. Mercenaries from the coast. All will answer Mordor's call. This will be the end of Gondor as we know it. Here the hammer stroke will fall hardest. What a scene. I don't know, did my, my children choose right? Was that okay? Um, it's, uh, it's, it's one of those scenes where there's such ominous threat, I mean, of, of Gandalf getting cancer from smoking, I think. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> it's, a good, uh, it's a good picture of that, but I, I, like, I like how he, uh, little, little Pippin grabs, or Peregrine uh, grabs the sword, and he's like, is this a ceremonial sword? They don't expect me to actually do any fighting, do they? That's sort of how I feel. Uh, he, he, some other great lines, there's, there's no more stars. Or when he says, I don't want to be in a battle. And then, of course, when Gandalf says, our enemy is gathered. The reality is we all face enemies, usually not orcs and goblins, thankfully, but we all have battles and, and conflicts. The question we want to think about today is, where do we go for strength and, and muscle and, and when, when enemies rise against us, when battles and conflicts rise up around us, where do we go? To help us think about this, I want to draw our attention to a remarkable incident that happened to Elisha, this Old Testament prophet and uh, man of God. We'll look at four spiritual principles to help us deal with enemies. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, uh, we've got loner Bibles at the back. Um, you can read with me. We're going to walk through this passage together. It'd be helpful for you to have kind of your thumb in that, in that book if you have it with you. Uh, we're going to look at uh, 2 Kings chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 8. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go and find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. Now the context of that that passage is that Aram of Syria, or Syria was warring against Israel, which was the northern kingdom, which was centered in the city of Samaria. Syria was a collection of nomadic tribes just to the, the, northern, to the north who constantly led marauding raids into Israel. Saul, David, and Solomon all had dealt with conflicts with these people. Ben-Hadad, the, the king of Syria, was seeking to ambush Israel and their king, who was at the time Jehoram. And Ben-Hadad must have had an informant in Israel's camp because he seemed to know where they were going to be and when they were going to be there. And Elisha the prophet, as he was, he was able to discern from God what the king was planning. So he sent news to Jehoram, telling him to avoid such and such a place and thereby escaping. This happened so many times that the king of Syria not only grew very suspicious, he grew enraged, it says, 
And he gathers his advisors around him. He says, like, who's selling us out? Who's the traitor here? Who's telling Israel where we're, we're going to be? Because this is supposed to be an ambush and it's not working. And his guys respond in verse 12. None of us, my lord, the king. I like this line. But Elisha, the prophet who was in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Be careful what you say in your bedroom. God is listening. It's the, the lesson from that text. In other words, no one is committing treason. It's Elisha. He's able to understand what you're going to do, and he's warning the king of Israel. And so the king of Syria decided he had to, to rid himself of this nemesis, and so he sends a, an army to the town of Dothan and surrounds it to, to, find out, to, to, to capture Elisha. Now you can ask the question, just what did Elisha do to deserve this? Elisha was a, I mean, if you, you compare Elisha and Elijah, you don't mind if something bad happens to Elijah. He's got a, a gruff character, maybe. Elisha's really nice. He's a sweet guy. And, and the reality is, he's simply going about his business. He's, he's trying to help his king. He, he didn't fight the Syrians. He didn't taunt them. He didn't plan a military campaign against Ben-Hadad. He really did nothing to, to bring about this conflict except for honor God by defending God's people. And here we find our first spiritual principle. I don't like it, but enemies are unavoidable. Enemies are unavoidable. All of us at some time in life will face battles and conflicts, even if we keep our head down, even if we do good, even if we honor God, even if we, we, we uh, help others and, and, and do all these things, speaking the truth, we'll, we'll still have enemies, we'll still have conflict. It's impossible to escape at times, people, you know, bosses, uh, co-workers, roommates, uh, neighbors, uh, family, even friends, uh, can be a source of conflict for us. At times, it'll be circumstances, the, the loss of a job, or maybe the lack of a promotion, um, the loss of a family member, a uh, financial reversal, a, a, a automobile accident, become a source of conflict. Think about children. children. Children actually face a lot of conflict growing up. There's, there's competition and pressure in school. There's uh, peer pressure, uh, the search for identity and, and, and self-esteem, the, the fear of not being accepted. Do you remember that as a kid? <laughs> Do you remember what that was like? Have you, have you grown so much you've forgotten what it's like to be a child? Oh, you know, I, I remember that great line, you know, nobody likes me, everybody hates me, I think I'll go eat worms, right? Or as I like to say, crickets. Um, some, of, some of the enemies we have don't have faces, but we know their names, um, like self-doubt, illness, death, depression, loneliness, rejection, lust, uh, fear of failure. The major enemy we face in our lives is, of course, the evil one himself, Satan. Uh, he, he uses people and, and circumstances to overwhelm us, to, to to rob us of our life and to rob us of our joy. I mean, the Apostle Paul reminds us in, in Ephesians who our real enemy is. He says there, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And Scripture tells us that, that Satan, our enemy, is a liar, and he's the father of lies. And that he, he's like a, a roaring lion who, who's, who's wandering about, uh, seeking whom he can devour. 
So the question this morning really is, how do we respond when, when enemies rise up against us? I think Elisha's servant illustrates our usual response. Verse 15. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Imagine, um, the servant rose up early, got the coffee going, goes out to get the morning paper, looks up and sees that the city is surrounded by an army. He wakes up, Elisha crying out, Oh no, Lord, what are we going to do? What was his response? Fear. And fear is always our, our first reaction when we encounter an enemy. Like, like the servant, we feel overwhelmed or outgunned with seemingly no escape, no way out. Why do we fear? Well, the servant of Elisha literally feared for his life. And I, and I think it's actually not that much different for us. We might not necessarily fear for our actual life, but, but perhaps we fear losing some aspect of our life, our, our freedom, our security, our identity, our, our comfort, our sense of well-being. We, we fear that our enemies will rob us of some aspect of life. Chuck Swindoll, in a sermon he gave many, many years ago, he, he had a great description uh, of, of fear. Listen to what he says. He says, fear. Have you ever met this beast? Sure you have. Fear of failure, fear of heights, fear of crowds, fear of disease, fear of rejection, fear of unemployment, fear of what others are saying about you, fear of moving away, fear of height or depth or distance or death, fear of being yourself, fear of buying, fear of selling, fear of financial reversal, fear of war, fear of the dark, fear of being alone. Bully that it is, the creature relies on scare tactics and surprise attacks. It watches for your vulnerable moment and picks the lock that safeguards your security. Once inside, it strikes quickly to transform spiritual muscle into mental mush. The prognosis for recovery is neither bright nor cheery. This is how the army of Israel responded when the giant Goliath comes out and he taunts them and says to them, what what does he say? Who will fight me? And how did... Saul and the Israelites respond. We're told that when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Later on, it says that when, when all of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. Our first reaction is to our enemy is fear. Panic was the, enemy, uh, the servant's second reaction. What shall we do is his question to Elisha. This is usually the path we take. You know, we, we don't talk to God about it. We want to figure out quickly some course of action to alleviate our fears. We, you know, we feel threatened. We, we want out of that jam. We want life back to normal. We, when we face enemies, we respond, I think, sometimes the way my wife responds to spiders or other insects. Kill it, kill it, kill it! Well, while she leaps onto some piece of furniture. Actually, that's how I respond to spiders. But this is how we respond to enemies, typically, is fear and, and panic. And if our, our first spiritual principle is that, that enemies are unavoidable, our, our second principle is that our normal, natural reaction to enemies is to, to be afraid and to panic. So how can we respond differently? How, how can we keep from fear and panic? The answer is presented wonderfully in, in, in verses 16 and, and 19 by Elisha. It says, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. 
Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, this is not the road, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. Pretty amazing response here from Elisha, and I think there's a lot of comfort and and encouragement here in this text for us when we face enemies. Three things in Elisha's response, in contrast to his servant's response, that give shape to our third spiritual principle. First of all, Elisha did not look at the physical circumstances because he knew a a spiritual reality. He he doesn't fear. He, He knows that despite overwhelming odds, things are not as they seem. He's so confident that he says to his servant, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are greater than those who are with them. That's the the takeaway line that we should have uh, with us this week as we go out of this place. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Elisha knows that that God's present, even if he's not visible. God has a, a great army. God is in control. Nothing will happen that God does not allow. Even if we feel outnumbered, even if we feel like, There's just no escape. We need not fear. We can trust God. We can trust that that those who are with us are more than those who are with our enemy. You know, trusting in the presence of God is the antidote to fear. Deuteronomy tells us, actually, how we're to go into battle. In in Deuteronomy 20, it says, When you go to war against your enemies, and, and you see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, do not be afraid of them, because the Lord your God, who brought you up out of Egypt, will be with you. When you are about to go into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the army. He shall say, Hear Israel. Today you are going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not panic or be terrified by them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. Eugene Peterson puts it this way. He says, First impressions and surface appearances are deceiving. We underestimate God, and we overestimate evil. We do not see what God is doing, and we conclude that he is doing nothing. We see everything that evil is doing and think it is in control of everyone. You know, remember David's response to Goliath in contrast to that of the the armies of Israel? The Israelites were shaken in their boots, but when when David heard Goliath taunting the Israeli army, he says, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? David, David trusted in God. He knew God was present. He knew that there was more with him than were with Goliath. I mean, here are his words in Psalm 27. These words have brought great comfort to me in times of, of darkness. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Why? It's GST, folks. It's GST. God stood, I mean, Goliath stood tall, but God stood taller. The second thing we see about Elisha is before he becomes a man of action, what does he do? He becomes a a man of prayer. 
rather than trying to figure out what to, to do next, Elisha prays. And he prays specifically for the eyes of his servant to be open to the spiritual reality of what he's just spoken. Suddenly the, the servant's eyes are opened and he sees the horses and the chariots of fire that surround Elisha. Fire is, is used in Scripture to portray the, the presence of God and this is now what the servant sees. Something interesting to note about verse 17 is I've always thought the presence of God was surrounding the enemies of Elisha. But, but verse 17 says the chariots of fire were surrounding Elisha. I mean, what a reminder. God is, is in between us and our enemies. He is our buffer. He is our, our defender. He is our stronghold and our fortress. We're, we're like a quarterback, and not even a great quarterback, and we're standing beside, behind the, the, the most uh, impenetrable offensive line ever. Psalm 34 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. I wonder if the, the servant of Elisha was reminded of Psalm 121. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord the maker of heaven and earth. You know, how often do we respond with prayer when we come face to face with an ominous foe? How often do we lift our eyes to the Lord and, and look for his strength and, and his protection? Just as, as trust is the antidote to fear, prayer is the antidote to panic. When we're, when we're panicking, we're not usually praying. And what should we pray for? I mean, the, the, the scriptures here are specific. Elisha prays, that the, the eyes of the servant would be opened. We can pray the same thing. We can pray that God will allow us to see his presence and he allow us to, to be dis, able to discern that he's in control. We can pray that God will replace our fears with confidence. If fear and panic are a result of looking at the enemy, confidence and comfort are the result of looking to the Lord. Um, my mom has been staying with us in recent weeks, and, and uh, actually this is her last Sunday with us. She heads back to her home in Ontario this coming week, and it's been really good. And, and, and on one, more than one occasion, we've had opportunity during our visit uh, to talk about something pretty significant that happened three years ago when, when my dad was battling with cancer. And during those days, um, my family was facing an enemy called death. I remember, uh, I, I don't think I'll ever forget, my brother calling me uh, early in February of that year to tell me that my dad had been rushed to hospital for emergency surgery. He'd collapsed, uh, couldn't, couldn't walk. Uh, and I remember agonizing hours as I waited to hear news of what was happening. And I got to tell you, I got fearful and panicky. And I, I'm, I'm running around. I, I didn't know what to do. And, and I was thinking, I'm, I'm just going to get on a plane and go. Should I, should I go? I don't know. And, and finally I stopped and said, I need to pray. I sat there, uh, it, was, I was, it was my Sabbath day, it was my Friday, and I was on my own at home alone, and, and uh, Angel was at work, and, and uh, just by myself, and I cried out to God, and it was remarkable how he just filled me with a sense of his confidence and peace. And later, as we prayed about it together, we just sensed that, no, this wasn't the time to go. And in fact, we were able to, to go a few weeks later. Um, we'd already purchased tickets to go and visit them during spring break. We brought our boys and our family, and we went and um, spent two weeks with my dad, every day going to the hospital, spent most of the day with him, and, and had some amazing, amazing times with my father. 
not knowing that those would be his final two weeks of his life. In fact, um, on the, the morning we were due to fly out, uh, we'd said goodbye to my dad, by the way. His last words to us the, the night before was, um, see you all in heaven. That was where his words. And the next morning we got, a, got word from the hospital that he had passed away. We didn't even have to fly back to British Columbia. We just extended our time in Ontario and we were there. Incredibly precious. And, and an incredible reminder that as, as we stop and as we pray and look to God, he can open our eyes to a different reality. And, and uh, it gave me confidence in the presence of God that I normally wouldn't have. The third thing Elisha does is he, asks, he goes on to ask for deliverance. I mean, now that his attitude's right, his focus is right, now that his confidence is, is in the presence of God, Elisha prays for deliverance. And I like the fact that he prays first that his servant's eyes would be opened, and then he prays that the enemy's eyes would be closed, that their eyes would be blinded. I think that's kind of interesting. And I suspect that they weren't blinded physically, um, but they became confused. And the person they've come to, to abduct is Elisha. Well, Elisha comes right up to them and says, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll take you where you want to go. And he leads them, uh, this small army, right into the capital city, Samaria, where they are surrounded then by the uh, Israel army and, and right up before the king. It's quite a story. In her book, The Hiding Place, Corrie ten Boom tells of a time when, when she wanted to take her Bible into a concentration camp in Nazi Germany. The guards were searching the prisoners, and they were taking away from them any, any possessions that they had as they entered the, the camp at Ravensbrück. Corey and her sister found a sweater, which they used to, to wrap up the Bible in temporarily while they changed clothes. And when they had their new clothes on, Corey took the sweater with the Bible in it and tried to, to conceal it inside her dress, hoping she could make it through the checkpoint. And this is what she writes. She says, it made a bulge that you could see clear across the market. I flattened it out the best I could, pushing it down, tugging the sweater around my waist, but there was no real concealing it beneath the thin cotton dress. And all the while, I had the incredible feeling that it didn't matter, that this was not my business, but God's, that all I had to do was walk straight ahead. The word of Gandalf breaks, breaks in. That all I had to do was walk straight ahead. As we trooped back out through the shower room door, the SS men ran their hands over every prisoner, front, back, and sides. The woman ahead of me was searched three times. Behind me, Betsy was searched. No hand touched me. At the exit door to the building was a second ordeal, a line of women guards examining the prisoners again. I slowed down as I reached them, but the officer in charge shoved me roughly by the shoulder. Move along, you're holding up the line. So Betsy and I arrived at Barracks 8 in the small hours of that morning, bringing not only the Bible, but a new knowledge of the power of him whose story it was. Again, our, our text gives us helpful insight as to what we can pray for when we ask God for deliverance from our enemies. God, God gives Elisha a, a wonderful physical victory. But each time we pray, we can't always expect a physical victory. The, the Old Testament gives us physical pictures of, of spiritual realities. God's solutions might be different than our ideas of solutions. At times, he wants to change us internally before he ever deals with our external circumstances. My, my dad still died, but he died so well 
He died knowing God loved him. And, and, and we all get to die and get to go to that place. But it was a remarkable experience of deliverance that he experienced, even though he wasn't delivered from what we would have liked to have seen. But Elisha prays something very specific, and this can be the content of our prayers as well. When he prays, the army of Syria is disarmed and, and made powerless to carry out what, what it threatened to do. And that's what we can pray for as well. We can pray for the, the kind of confidence that the fears, the anxiety, and, and the doubt can be made powerless to strangle our lives. In the midst of the battle, we can maintain peace and security and, and, and trust in God. The, the fears of self-doubt, the threats of, of lust, the dread of unemployment, the, the anxiety of confronting another person, those sorts of things can be disarmed and, and made powerless. That is what God promises to do. So we see our, our third principle in Elijah's, Elisha's response when we face enemies rather than looking at the physical circumstances. Rather than, than being controlled by our feelings of fear, we can trust in the presence of God and we can pray that He'd open our eyes so that we can have a, a sense of confidence and strength as we face the battle. We, we can pray the enemy be made powerless to take away our peace, our security, and our identity in Jesus. Pastor David Roper wrote, We must not focus on our fear, our foes and our fear. We should rather turn from them to seek God's face and the place where he dwells. There is no panic there. And from that quiet place, we can sally forth to face what we fear, singing to ourselves about his love, thanking him for a, constant, a contest pardon me, already won, believing that the battle is not ours, but the Lord's. The concluding verses give us Elisha's response to the victory God gave him. Verse 20. After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes, and they looked, and there they were inside Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, Shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill those you have captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them, so that they may eat and drink, and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them, and after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away, and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. When our, when our enemy, let me say this, when our enemy is another person, and God gives us the victory, how do we normally respond? How do we usually respond? Sometimes our, our response is to rub it in their face. Uh, we might want to gloat. We want to kick them while they're down. We want total victory. They, they've been a pain to us and we want to get even. But not Elisha. The, the king of Israel wants to kill the attackers and, and in, in rules of war maybe would have been, you know, could have justified it. But Elisha says you would not kill someone whom you captured in actual battle by the, the sword or the bow. Then why would you kill someone when God has delivered them on your doorstep? Elisha's response is, is like Jean Valjean's when he has the opportunity to to kill his enemy, his, his nemesis, Javert, in Les Miserables. His response is like David's in, in the cave when he has the opportunity to, to take out Saul, his enemy. And, and he's even encouraged to do so by his, his officers, and he doesn't do it. And, and so Elisha, he, he doesn't want to get even. He doesn't want revenge. Rather, he tells the, the king to do this remarkable thing. Put a feast before them. Feed them. He sees an opportunity to love and to serve his enemy, an opportunity to minister in, in the love and the grace of God. And what's the result? 
The text says that this marauding raid or band of marauders didn't come again to attack the land of Israel. I think if the Israelites had, had killed the Syrians, their foe would have wanted revenge and things would have probably just escalated like we see in our world. But Elisha's response short-circuits any future warfare and, and brings peace to, our, the, the, peace to the land. Our fourth principle is this. Rather than seeking an opportunity to destroy the enemies God gives into our hands, seek an opportunity to love and to serve them. So when you're in conflict with a neighbor, what do you do? Bake him a cake. When you're in conflict with a coworker, bring him some cookies. Uh, when you're in conflict with a family member, invite him over for dinner. I think this scripture says food is just about the answer to most problems with enemies. I, I, that's what I draw from it anyway. But <laughs> remarkably, when we actually practice that, when we actually love those who have hurt us or cursed us or been trouble to us, um, people with whom we're in conflict with are are humbled and they're challenged. They don't expect it. They don't understand it. And, and an avenue is open for us to love them and to care for them and to minister to them. It can cause the past to be done away with and can, can bring peace to our relationship. Remarkable thing. Very Christian. Enemies are unavoidable, and so we'll all face conflict. Our, our natural reaction will be fear and panic. The question is, where do we go for muscle and 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 for strength from our enemies. Hopefully, like Elisha, we can learn to seek God. He's present. He surrounds us, and he can open our eyes, and he can cause the fears that would choke out our life to be disarmed and made powerless. Some of you, we're, we're going to have an opportunity for prayer in just a couple minutes, and, and when you come for prayer this morning, it may very well be that God would just love to, to, to heal you, and he does that. He does restore broken marriages. He does uh, reverse financial misfortunes. He can, can bring great deliverance in your life in some real physical ways. We've seen that here. But, but I'm suggesting that's not all we should be looking for. We should be looking for a greater deliverance, a deliverance from the fear that can rule our lives in many senses, the, the, the fear that, that, that can cripple us and strangle out our life. God wants to deal with that and give us fresh joy and a fresh sense of life in him that he's with us in his presence. As I thought about this text last night, one more question came to mind. Why do we have enemies anyway? Um, too, many, too many answers to that question, but, but the answer from this text is that we too got to learn the lessons the servant learned from the master. You know, we must learn to personally trust in the strength of God for ourselves. God wants each one of us to come to rely on him. Uh, not only reading about it in the life of Elisha, not, he wants each one of us to experience how powerful he is, how much he loves us, and how, how he can help us in the midst of our conflicts and our battles that threaten our lives. I mean, the servant had to learn it. David had to learn it. Corey Ten Boom had to learn it. And, and God wants us to learn that too. He wants us to see how big he is, how near he is, how we can lean on him in the midst of battle. When we do that, we come to know God more deeply and more fully, and, and we come to trust him for our entire life because he's there. He surrounds us, and he protects us. Our fears and anxieties can be turned to trust and confidence for the battle is not ours it's the lord's uh taryn and uh andrew are going to come up and do a special number right now come on up you guys while they come let me read conclude with a psalm this i know that god is for me in god whose word i praise in the lord whose word i praise 
In God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Amen.